0: money, you know, the whole money changes a person. If you're comfortable at 5,000 and you're very valid in who you are, like it's another whole behavioral psychological trait. Money doesn't necessarily change you, it illuminates who you already are. If you're a sad person, more money is not going to fix that. I hate to break it to you, right? If you're a giver, likely you're going to be more of a giver. If you're a spender, you're going to likely be more of a spender. So it's like the whole Diderot effect
1: does your relationship with money need a reset well this episode is for you welcome to another jam-packed episode of money you should ask i'm your host bob wheeler back again to explore the money mindsets driving our financial decisions today i'm thrilled to welcome leading financial advisor brad barrett with nearly 20 years experience empowering clients brad shares game-changing perspectives on achieving financial freedom by resetting your relationship with money In this episode, we delve into how our upbringing and early life experiences shape our core money beliefs. Whether it was a parent's job loss or childhood money quarrels, those formative moments mold our mindsets as adults. We also explore the disconnect between wanting wealth, yet judging the rich, and why time is the most precious commodity and how investing buys future time. So let's dive into ways to avoid money stress, find fulfillment beyond dollars, and reboot harmful money mindsets. ensure you never miss an episode. Click that follow button on your favorite podcast platform. The money mindset reset you need starts now. Let's transform those pesky money patterns holding you back. Brad, thanks for joining us today. Oh, Bob, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, I'm excited about this conversation because I think we're sort of in a similar mindset and we'll probably be talking about mindset today, but I'm wondering, you've dedicated your career to financial advising. Can you just sort of tell me what inspired this career path for you?
0: Yeah, I think every advisor, anyone worth their salt probably has their their origin story. For me, honestly, Bob, not to get too long-winded on it, but when I was 16, like many people in finances, you got kind of some cathartic event that happens in your life. My dad had worked for a telecommunications company for like 20 years, couple different variations of it growing, and I was 16 years old and it went bankrupt. We lost everything. Wow. And it was one of those events in life where 16, I got two younger sisters, my dad, who I revered and looked up to, we had to kind of like rearrange some stuff. You just felt it in the family, right? And you're 16, you think you know the world, but I didn't. So I was young and dumb and mad. And I don't know what I did, Bob, but I blacked out, walked into a bank, Washington Mutual, God rest its soul, and just said, hey, I want a job. And somehow they gave a punk sophomore in high school a job and that was it. You know, looking back, like two things I wanted to do. One, I wanted to learn about money and just say, look, my dad's too great of a person raising three kids. I don't want that to happen to me. And then that's when I touched my heart and say, like, This is my purpose. I want to do this for others. And I've been in the financial services ever since. So I'm going on 20 years now. And it's been a wild ride and a great ride.
1: That's awesome. You know, I think there are so many people that grow up thinking their parents know everything, have it all dialed in, and there's an incredible safety net and nothing to worry about. And parents are great at presenting or faking it or actually doing the best they can and then circumstances take them out. But I know my parents married really young, didn't know a whole lot. And for me, sort of that thing of, yeah, I don't like being poor and I don't like not having some kind of safety net. And if nobody else has a safety net for me, I guess I'm going to go out and make my own.
0: (laughs) Yeah. A lot of times those things shape you. I'll tell you what, becoming a husband, becoming a father, obviously it even reshapes it even further. You know, you're like, oh, wow. I really don't have it together. So they definitely didn't have it together <laughs> kind of stuff. But it also speaks to a lot of what I talk about. I know what you talk about, which is why I loved coming on here was like the psychology around something as so profound as money. Like it's kind of a taboo subject matter. Like people in this world would rather talk about sex than money. And it's crazy to me, right? It's like, right. that's almost like, oh my gosh, let's freely talk about that. But when it comes to money, whoa, 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 like don't know, man. And I think guys like you, and I know I've set my career out to say, I want to in a weird way, like debunk the taboo nature of money because if you think about it at the core, it's kind of the nurture nature thing. What we live through, there's really two forms of behavioral financial traits that I see, at least as an advisor. One is the God-given DNA, like no different than the color of your eyes. The other one is the circumstances. Like you said, if you grew up with a silver spoon or something like that and you had a bunch of money, then your money context is gonna be a little bit different than the person who grew up on food stamps and everywhere in between. And I think as an advisor, as professionals that we work with clients around the subject of money, I think we're doing a disservice if we don't talk to them about the qualitative items that they're bringing in versus just the quantitative. And, you know, that's something we strive to do here at our firm at One Capital Management. And we feel like we've been successful at it. And we love sharing that message and just reminding people that, like, you're not alone. Everyone struggles with money, whether they have it or they don't. You heard the saying, right? More money, more problems. It's real. You and I see it as advisors. So it's just kind of almost debunking the myth that money can fill some void or solve some problem. And it just tends to create more problems. So planning for us, managing your risk and your growth and how you own it, it matters to us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm wondering if this has ever happened for you because I've talked to a few advisors. I work with a lot of advisors because if I'm not, I'm not helping my client. Like I've got to be letting them know, hey, I've got $300,000 worth of capital loss carry forward or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's
0: a comprehensive team you're building for a client.
1: Gotta work together. But there've been a few times where I'm talking to an advisor with the client's permission and I'll say, oh man, I can't believe the client da-da-da did this. And the advisor's like, what are you talking about? When I talk to them, we're on goal for everything and they told me where they're doing this and that. But the thing is, when I do the taxes, I actually see, certain things that they did with their money that the advisor just took their word on so i'm wondering if you've ever had that where they want to give you a good game they talk a good game but secretly i'm sort of ashamed i can't tell brad what i did because he can't get mad
0: yeah it'd be ill-advised for me to say i haven't seen that in 19 20 years of being an advisor i do think though as you become more experienced i feel like i've kind of grown in your career you're able to almost see through that to help them with it. Say, oh, let's stop for a second. You don't have to put up a front with me. Like, I'm here to help you. Right. But it's also one of those things, too. You talk to clients. You gotta remember, it's weird. I think it's like a financial undressing. You go to a doctor and it's already an uncomfortable situation. It's the same thing here. And weirdly, I think people have a harder time showing you their money than anything else. It's kind of interesting, right? So there is definitely aspects that we as humans all bring into advisory relationships like ours, whether that's pride, humility, embarrassment, guilt, shame, sadness over a loss of something or money or the whole hindsight theory, right? We were just like, oh, well, if I had invested in Apple 20 years ago, I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, (laughs) we can all play that game, right? Exactly. Or the whole notion like I learned in economics when I was studying it, the whole $1 loss will always be more profound for a client than the $10 gain. And you think about that, it's crazy. Like how many times you have talked to a client like back 10 years ago, I had this investment in a loss and I'm like, Do you not see the other 10% of gains that have gone on since then? You know, we definitely have seen those things come in. and, And I'll notice with the integration team, like CPA, estate planning attorney, insurance professional, legal team, lawyers, business managers with clients that there's definitely different relationships I think the client will take with each one of them, depending on the role. Like take our world from an investment manager and a financial advisor, let's say, and a CPA. It's kind of like in your world, right? It's like a balance sheet versus a P&L. Right. Different numbers, different relationships to it. So I think there's a connection point there where it's like you have a different feel with somebody around what they're doing for the taxes because they're kind of coming to you like, okay, man, what do I owe? And it's not a fun conversation. Right. And it's weird too, right? Okay, what am I receiving back? And you look like a savior. And it's like, well, really, it's just getting back the money you sent Uncle Sam on a free loan, basically.
1: Right. Sometimes we
0: look amazing even though we did nothing. Yeah. So it's our whole world is about context. And I think the same thing for us. Like sometimes I get the client who feels almost sheepish to call me and say, Hey, I need 10 grand or some money. I'm like, great. Well, my job is to get it out to you efficiently and effectively. And you kind of hear on the tone on a call or a meeting where they kind of feel like they're coming to big brother for it. I'm like, no, 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 this is your money. I always take a stance. Like, just to be clear, I'm here to steward the capital for you based on your goals. End of the day, though, you're in the driver's seat. So yeah, we definitely have seen that.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. You're talking about the undressing financially. And I think in some households, Hey mom, what do you make? Don't you ever like, yeah, you never talk about money. And then other people talk about it openly, or there's so many secrets or we hear, well, the neighbors, boy, don't they think they're high and mighty getting that fancy new car. So we start picking up or even in school. Oh, I've got the hand me down Somebody else has the uh, designer. Yeah. Polo or whatever it might be, and so we start learning really early that money matters, or that it's a topic that don't talk about it, but you want to have it if you can.
0: You hit on something I say all the time, and I think this is good for anyone watching or listening here. Like, ask yourself honestly. Maybe since the age of seven or eight, and I'm going to use that as an example because my son, who turns eight here in a couple months, just recently is asks me daily, not like specifically about money, but he's all of a sudden keen to the topic of money. And I'm like, where'd that come from, right? so from the age of seven or eight how many days in your life have you gone where you haven't peripherally or directly thought about money especially if you've been 18 and you're an adult now right past that i mean everything from the coffee you bought this morning you're thinking about it and everywhere around us with social media and marketing and everything just talks about all these budgeting hacks and i'm like i'm sorry not buying your starbucks in the morning is not going to necessarily get you to buying your first home i'm sorry yes it will help right but might be a drop in the bucket. Like there's bigger shifts you got to make. Anyway, that's a whole other, you know, rabbit hole we can go down.
1: But again, even the marketing, there was an ad for a while. If you're using money and not your credit card, you're holding up the line, Yeah, right? Don't be that guy. And even with my clients, I have a lot of clients, a lot of money. Let's talk estate planning. Oh no. If we start talking about my money, when I die, my kids are going to wait for me to die. They're going to, now All they're going to think about is how much money I'm giving them. We're not. Can't, that's off the table.
0: They're thinking Uncle Vinny's going to show up to the house with a baseball bat in the back or something. It's like, Whoa, what? No.
1: Yeah, we can talk about it. It's going to be okay. So yeah, it's really interesting. Let me ask you this, because on your show, Make Your Money Matter, you're aiming to change how people think. What would be the biggest shift of mindset that you try to inspire your listeners to make that adjustment?
0: On our show, we have a few episodes a week that we come out. It was born off of my direct conversations I've had for nearly two decades with clients. Everything you would see on our show, like yours, you're coming from a place of experience. So all the topics, I even had one recently on how to talk to your kids about money, which is exactly what you're talking about, right? Yeah. All of these things that come up weekly during reviews. And so when I'm out there designing how you think about it, it really comes to the notion of like being careful of getting too down the line of just thinking growth, 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 and the whole crab mentality of stepping over people. It's really kind of like the one saying, right? The one place you can stay in this world for free is your lane. Yeah. And so it's like, just focus on you. Don't look over the fence, see what other person has. Like you mentioned the guy who, you know, run around with the new Jordans at school when you're on primary school or something like that. Like, yeah, that's good Good for him, right? If that's a goal of yours, then we want to rethink and reshape your context of money. And that's a word I use all the time. So most of my listeners and my clients are probably like rolling their eyes if they're even listening to this. Like if I say the word context one more time, my wife's probably going to put me in the grave. But <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's one of the things when I talk about reshaping the mindset around money, Bob, I'm really focusing on context and like in investment management world. How many times people will come with a 20 or 30 year data fact set on, let's say rate of returns and compare that to a one year portfolio management work. I mean, it's talk about apples to oranges. And so I think we're constantly trying to get into the mindset and reframe the context of time in particular, you know, the context of their world, not what's going on with their neighbors or their family members. So a lot of it fits up here, it's in the mind. Like a lot of our struggles in life in general, but with money is a mindset, it really is. And so I try to reframe how they're personally
1: seeing their own money and then how we wanna grow it and save it. Yeah, and to just touch back on the kids for a minute, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to have conscious, intentional conversations. It is. We could shame, because I said so, or that's stupid, or you're greedy, instead of, so here's the reality. Money doesn't grow on trees, whatever you want to say. But to be able to sit there and say, well, you can have the bike, but then you're not going to get ice cream or a snack after school for the next six months, or like explaining trade-offs, or taking a piggy bank and making the kid have to fork out some of their money out of the piggy bank and experience the loss, but then experience the purchase instead of I'm going to tell Santa Claus (laughs) or whatever it might be. And so you're getting cold this year. And it's like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) It's funny you say that,
0: Bob, because one of the things that we shifted now that my son's kind of talking about it is I brought in the word in my house of earn Mm. versus receive. I think for anyone out there who's in that struggle or in that season of life with kids, it's also hard to figure out when the right time is to talk to your kid about or bring it up. I mean, I don't know there's a right answer or an age. I think for me, with my eight-year-old, or gonna be eight-year-old, he's just bringing it up around how much did that cost, right? things like that. So he's obviously, the concept's there. So obviously the seed is planted. So now I wanna be able to steward that and grow that healthy. Yeah. And one concept was, instead of how much did it cost, or can I get that based on certain reward system, or it's how do we earn that? And I don't know, that's my own thing in my household. Like, yeah. Work ethic is instilled, whether there's a monetary value of receivership or some other validation, I think the word earn versus receive or be given has a lot to do with how they're going to go into adult life around the concept of money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you talk about money, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden now we're all greedy Yeah, and that we're singularly focused. The money conversation comes up, like you said, 500 times a day. Do I bring my lunch? Do I buy my lunch? Do I get the extra dessert. You know, that's funny. You say that. there was a study I just
0: read and I don't have the ability to quote it, but I read it and it was about, there is on average 60,000 thoughts that go through our brain on a daily basis. Yeah. Think about that. I believe it. Right. And that was even okay. Let's say they're crazy high and let's even take half of it still 30,000. But I was thinking about like how many of those thoughts are around money. Like you just said, like we think about it constantly. It's unbelievable. And we tend to, if we do that in our mental space, and a lot of psychologists will talk about this when you talk about it, if you do that too much, you tend to live in tomorrow's anxiety without dealing with today's problems. And so it's like this frame of reference in your mind where you're caught up in this state of complete angst at all times because you're so focused on the growth aspect when you're not being as grateful as maybe you should be about, okay, well, wait a minute, I woke up this morning. Let's just
1: start there. right? So I think that frames how we look at things like money too. Absolutely. And I've also read that of those thoughts that we're thinking, the 30, the 60,000, about 80% are negative. Yeah. So, wow, Billy has a new car instead of, hey, hey, Billy, Billy's got a new car. Maybe I can ride in it, right? We're yeah. often going straight to the negative. Uh, well, they got a raise. Or the judging and yeah, all that. It's like, wait, why? Why? You know, I've really cultivated a mindset when people around me, because I have a lot of entertainment friends. So when somebody gets a TV show mm-hmm. or something really good happens or they got the promotion or their investment paid off, I get excited because I tell people, I'm around people that are successful. <laughs> right? Yeah. And that just means more is going to come my way. I don't want to be around people that are constantly falling off the cliff and everything's just doomsday. Yeah, I want people around me. And so I get excited when other people are succeeding because that means I'm around success. <laughs> like that's the way I spin it. Yeah. And you want to be careful of your friend group,
0: especially as you're growing in your career or whatever it is you're doing, whatever purpose you have in your life. And you want to be around those people that are your cheerleaders, but you don't wanna be around the people that are, are your cheerleaders until you out-succeed them. Right. Because then it becomes a negative relationship, and it doesn't really work. At the end of the day, right or wrong, when you talk about the concept of money, it's really more about stewarding what you've been given. If you come at it from that lens, you immediately bring the stigma off of you're greedy, you're selfish, things like that. It's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I've been able to build a practice that I'm able to help people, and in return, you receive an economic reward. This is true of any job out there. And so if you bring it from a frame of reference, okay, the real question is not how much you're making, like everyone wants to focus on, okay? It's what are you doing with it? Right. Like that's where my whole philosophy gets born on with our clients is it also brings the sting off of being solely focused on a rate of return, which is one aspect of the what are you doing with it, but are you using it to help your children? Are you using it to help your neighborhood, your community? I mean, there's so many, that can go so many different ways, right? Yeah. And so I just think if you think about it that way, instead of the immediate reaction of like, hey, I wanna judge somebody for making 100 grand a year or whatever it is, with, well, you know what? I'd rather, if I'm gonna be judgy at all, I'd rather say, well, what are they doing with it? I mean, are they only, are they going into debt and causing a whole angst and then bring that into the workplace, into your family group? Or are they, you know, mining their own cash flow management and living within their means and all the things that helps create a more happy person? I mean, there is a direct correlation, I will say this. And I'm not a psychologist or a doctor, I don't have any data on this, but I'm coming from anecdotal experience. There is a heavy correlation I have with my clients for those that are living within their means, first, have by and large, more joy, more happiness. So the whole thing of money can't buy happiness. I tend to agree to an extent of, well, it's not how I can buy it, it's how you use it. And I've just seen it. The stress isn't there. It's kind of funny, right? It's the concept of I say this a lot to my clients, like the things in life are more stressful and harder when it should you versus could you. Yeah. Think about that, right? Like when you were broke, we've all been there one time. Like I, whatever, like if a buddy says, hey, let's go to dinner. You're like, no, nah, I can't, I can't afford it, right? I'm gonna eat Top Ramen like I did yesterday and the week before, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's an easy answer, Bob, right? We know this. It's just like, it's no stress, nope, it's done. Now all of a sudden you got a few coins in your pocket and the should you comes in. Like I could, I did just go to the grocery store and buy grocery, maybe I should it at home. Oh, but that sounds fun. He's going with so-and-so. It's only 30 bucks immediately you get into this money context of now it's stressful. So if you see that and the lens becomes there, that's where the whole money, more money, more problems come from. It's not like all of a sudden you got Jay-Z money or something like that. I'm not talking about that. Right. (laughs) I'm talking about more money than you had yesterday, literally. Yeah. And those are when the emotions come in. And so one of the things I think good advisors like yourself on the tax side and the business management side and then on our side and the investments and the planning side is to just help them see that. Like I said, reframe, rethink it before you get into this whole, let's go down this process and just do what everyone else is doing and grow, 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 and talk about performance numbers and this, that, and the other. That's a part of it. Yes. But if you start with the reframing, I think it has a big benefit to it.
1: Yeah. I want to go back to a couple points. So I want to come back to something, but we're going to take a minute to test your nerve. All right. Test your nerve is brought to you by themoneynerve.com. And to the listeners out there, I dare you to challenge and confront your finances Sign up now and take the testyournerve.com free quiz and find out about your relationship with money. All right, here we go. What's the worst financial advice you heard as a rookie? Oh,
0: the worst financial advice I heard as a rookie is buy the car to impress
1: the clients. (laughs) I've heard that a lot. It's California. Yeah. (laughs) What's the most important trait of a financial advisor in, in a couple of words? Empathy, one word. Yeah, awesome. If you could master one other skill besides finances, what would it be? Singing. I've always wanted to <laughs> sing, Bob. Like,
0: I am so jealous. When I go to church on Sundays and I see the worship team, I'm like, God, God, why couldn't I have that? I want that. Singing.
1: That <laughs> you didn't expect that answer. The voice is calling <laughs> you. The voice is calling you.
0: I am tone deaf. So I'm a finance geek. I do not sing. You do not sing. Not even in the shower. All right. Nope. Nope. If you had a billboard, what would it say? If I had a billboard, oh man, wow. You stumped me on that one. I have no idea what I would say on that. (laughs) All
1: right, we'll do another
0: one. You got me there. My nerve is not tested on a billboard. You got me there. I'm not
1: sure. Okay, that's all right. In your opinion, what money lessons are universal regardless of how much money someone has in the bank?
0: Time. The money lesson of time, I think, is the universal way to look at money, whether you got a billion dollars
1: or $1. Yeah, absolutely. And if you could reinvent the landscape of financial advising, what would be the ideal scenario?
0: If I could reinvent the whole landscape, I think disclosures and things that are out there that we know about, that we do here at our firm, I know, but I think a lot of people don't, I would like that to be uncovered a little bit. There's more to that answer, but that's what I would say.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think sometimes you find some advisors, especially newer ones, they're maybe just, buying an annuity, right, instead of maybe. Yeah, and the reason why I say that is too is because we live in a subjective world,
0: kind of. Sure. Well, in general, we do. And in this world, it's hard to, like take an annuity, for example, like they're fine products, but I have an issue with them being sold as like the end all be all, like it's going to solve your world's problem. It's typically how they're sold. So yeah. Right. I think somehow being able to reframe the whole subjective nature through disclosure and through somehow qualifying it in a more efficient manner, I think would be really great for everybody who would look to use a financial professional.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I want to go back to a couple of things. The first thing I want to go back to talking about mindset and talking about shoulda, coulda, I've got a few more dollars and do I go out to dinner with my friend? Yeah. I have a belief that a lot of people are comfortable with the amount of money they have. So if I'm comfortable with not being overdrawn, or if I'm comfortable with 500, or I'm comfortable with 10,000, when I get a windfall, when that money goes way up, I'm getting uncomfortable. Huh, let me get back to my $5,000 balance. Let me spend, spend, spend. Right. And I'm wondering what you think about that, if that makes sense or that's not your experience. A lot of times when a client will tell me I've just inherited 100,000 bucks, they go, what do I do? I say, you leave it in the bank for 30 days and just look at it and they're like, what? Yeah, I'm like,
0: yeah, just sit with it. Well, that's interesting. So I mean, the way I would kind of look at that is, one thing I've always shared is like, money changes a person thing, right? And Mm -hmm. to your point, if you're comfortable at 5,000 and you're very valid in who you are, like it's another whole behavioral, mental, psychological trait, money doesn't really change you. In my mind, it illuminates who you already are. Absolutely. So if you're a sad person, more money is not going to fix that. I hate to break it to you, right? If you're a giver, likely you're going to be more of a giver. If you're a spender, to your example, you're going to likely be more of a spender. So it's like the whole Diderot effect where he you know, had moved into a house. His couch didn't work, so he just kept expanding, expanding, expanding. We all do this, by the way. Right. You make a little bit more money and all of a sudden you spend it. A little bit more money, you spend it. It's the burning the hole in your pocket theory. Absolutely. So I agree with you. I think we are all comfortable to an estate until you move the goalpost. Like any goals or reward system in our life since we were kids, it's like, okay, you set a goal, you achieve it, and then you got to kind of move the goalpost. So I think, you know, if you had, in your example, $5,000 in the bank and then all of a sudden you had an inheritance, I would look back to, I guess I'm trying to add some color to that is who was the person originally with the 5,000? Like, were they a spender? Were they a giver? You know, emotionally, were they a joyous person naturally? Were they kind of more of a sad, I mean, whatever? It's just gonna illuminate who that person already is. And then in my experience, you're gonna see that play out. Absolutely. So in your example, if they're gonna spend it or get nervous, I think it's an interesting case study, right? Say, okay, for every client, if you inherited money, the first thing I would say, you have to hold it for 90 days. Like to your point, I would go further than 30, I'd say 90 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just see how they squirm. Now, obviously you have no control of that and squirm is a bad way to say it, but you're really trying to test their angst and it kind of forces them to re-examine themselves. Like, wait a minute, have you asked yourself why you feel so energetic about going and spending it, like crazy to to sit on it? It'd be interesting to figure out who they really are.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. I have a client in their 80s. They've got about 2 million, pretty liquid money. and I actually said, you must go and spend $20,000 on a remodel on your house because they're like, well, what if, what if, Mike, you got plenty, (laughs) your money's gonna last. Yeah, They're so frugal that I've literally said, if you don't come back with receipts, (laughs) okay, okay, okay. Just because they're so afraid to actually enjoy their life Yeah, because they've accumulated. And I get the hard work that went into it, but again, mindset context and all that, so. Well, and I think
0: too, you're speaking about generations as well. There's a big segment. Remember, we're only one generation away from the Great Depression. Yeah. I have these clients too in their 70s, 80s, and even 90s. They're very different in their money context than a client I have in their 40s. And I really do feel like as an advisors, we have to take, that's why we use that word empathy, of just remembering where they were coming from. We do want to do the good advice and good stewardship. which I totally agree with you on. Say, look, you do need to remodel. You're going to get some tax benefits from it. You do have plenty of money to fall back on, so on and so forth. But that's like speaking Spanish to somebody who doesn't speak Spanish, right? Right. And you can do that through trust. Obviously, she has trust in you. That's how we do it as advisors. But I think coming at it from a lens of realizing that they were raised likely, an 80-year-old person, in an era of we were still fighting wars. We were still kind of learning ourselves as a country. there's just a lot of stuff going on in the mid-1900s that I think is important to bring in context, especially when it comes to money. Mutual funds weren't even around until the 70s. Credit cards weren't even around. Like, you only paid for things in that generation, in what you had in the bank. There was no credit.
1: Yeah, the biggest disservice in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's like anything. Right, and then there's benefits too, so.
0: Yeah, it's like technology, right? I mean, you can make all the case in the world how beneficial it is, but also all the stress and angst it's caused as well in this world. So yeah, but anything good comes from bad and you just gotta kind of filter it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The other thing, and I'll just touch on it real quick, I'm just curious your thoughts on this. So I have a lot of artists and a lot of entertainment, creative folks, and there's a lot of I'm not deserving because I'm following my passion. I'm not obsessed with money, but I run into a lot of people and I'll say, what do you think of rich people? Rich people are greedy. People are this. People are that. Do you want to be rich? Yeah. Right. Like there's a disconnect. We want to have more money, but we have a judgment about what those people are like. So then are we keeping ourselves from getting there? So we don't become that, right? We become different people with money, which- A hypocrite. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. And I definitely agree that money amplifies who you already are, and so having more money or becoming rich, to me, is just more opportunity to be able to help others in need, yeah. or to be able to give people a path forward that might not have had it otherwise.
0: Yeah, it doesn't buy happiness necessarily, but it gives you options. There's an old saying, like, it's not about the zeros in your bank accounts. Some people look at that, some people look at having zero regrets. And neither one is a judging aspect. If someone wanted to grow their wealth to take care of multi generational wealth, great, good for them. You should cheer them on. If someone wanted to spend and live for today, because different context that they have. Now, I don't believe they should go into debt and cause other issues there. But if they want to spend what they have, and then you know what, that's their prerogative. You know, and and we live in a free country still, so let's you know, yeah, let that be. And yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think there's sometimes some hypocrisy of some things. You know, it's always hard, right? It's like an 18, 19 year old freshman, sophomore in college talking about how they're going to change the world. And we all want that. We've all been there, right? Then they work their first job, get their paycheck. And then I'm sorry, wait, the government's taking what? (laughs) Right. So it's, you got to kind of let them live their life and live through it and see the stages of growth that they go in. Because the reality, if you re-examine yourself, you were likely in those stages as well. Yeah. So I agree with you. There's some hypocrisy there, but I think it's just, judgment's a harsh word, but it's an analysis of what someone has that you don't. And it can either, creates you to be a negative person or it can motivate you. And it's really your choice. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I'm going to pivot a little bit. I'm going to ask you this because I'm curious your take on this. How has the rise of passive income challenged traditional assumptions about active money management? Like, have you seen a difference? And as an advisor, how do you navigate that?
0: Yeah, I think in the past five or 10 years in particular, I've noticed we were talking about this in our pre-production call, too, is I think this notion of everybody, this whole side hustle, passive income, by the way, we've always been preaching that of having multiple revenue channels. Typically it was done back in the day where, okay, do you have a pension? Do you have a social security? Like those are revenue channels that'll pay for you that you were funding along the way. And then all of a sudden it shifted to this whole real estate is like, when someone says passive income, right or wrong, they immediately attach that to real estate. And I'm not, again, not right or wrong, no shade there. Right. But what I kind of bring back say, well, wait a minute, aren't dividends passive income? I mean, aren't yields from fixed income on coupons and bonds, passive income. So it really comes down to how we reframe that for clients is just diversifying their desires and their needs. I don't think someone coming out there right away, anecdotally speaking, from my experience, someone saying, okay, I'm going to work five different side hustles, and that's how I'm going to build my wealth. Right. If you look at a lot of strategies out there from people who've actually made it, They focus their time, energy, and money and resources on one area. And then when that cup overfills, that's when they start investing in things of passive income and other areas. So I think, again, reframing your thought process there and making sure that that TikTok influencer isn't the one giving you your financial advice. Let's just put it that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, to something you said earlier about staying in your own lane, like I've done real estate, not my great. Same. I don't enjoy it. (laughs) Me. You know why I don't enjoy it? I was like, I'm... (laughs) Yeah, it's a tangible asset. Like, I've always told people, like,
0: you would think differently of the real estate market if it traded every day like the stock market does. Yeah. Think about that. You get still worried about the stock market. We get worried and fear about things that we don't understand. The mind is built that way. We don't like what we don't understand. It's that simple. That's right. So you typically grew up in a house. You maybe have had a place you rented. You're thinking about, okay, I'm the renter. I want to be the landlord one day. So you had this concept of real estate and land But it's so funny to me because it's like, it's a tangible asset, which basically means you can't just knock on the door and say, hey, I need grocery money today. So it's not liquid, right? Right. If you are the landlord, you got to deal with all the uncertainty of the things breaking down and the person you're the tenant. It is for certain people, but I'm with you, Bob. For certain people. I have a home and I'm blessed to have that, but I do not reinvest, I mean, diversify myself in real estate because it's just not my asset class. It's not my cup of tea, as they say.
1: No, exactly. Put it in a read. But (laughs) yeah. Yeah. Not real estate. You want to have the
0: exposure to that asset class, but do you necessarily need to own it brick and mortar? I don't know. It's for every it's for each of us to go through.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And for people out there, yeah, passive income is great, but find something you're comfortable with that doesn't keep you awake at night. Yeah. So that you can sleep soundly instead of going, is my crypto up? Is my yeah, (laughs) like whatever it is. Find your comfort.
0: Yeah, well said. But passive income and the investment that it comes from are very different. Again, like your world, it's like a profits and loss statement and a balance sheet. Right. You got to think about that, especially if you're going to go with use leverage. If you're going to use leverage, you can't just trade that thing right then and there. You got to wait 30, 60, 90 days, especially in this market with rising interest rates. That house may not sell right away. You got to be ready for that. You got to be well capitalized for that. Anyways, there's just a lot of thought that should go into that before. You know many times to your question, which is a good one, Bob, people coming in, you know, I'm thinking about buying a second property. You know how many times I've heard that in the past five years? (laughs) And internally, and I don't mean to say this, but like, I'm kind of like, oh gosh, here we go again. And when we walk through the economics of it, I'm like, let's talk through it. That's remember, empathy has to start with an advisor. You can't judge out of the gate. We have to be non-judgmental. And I really feel like I am, even though I'm kind of sitting there going like, why? And I know why. It wasn't his necessarily idea. It was his colleagues, his center of influence around him. It was marketing. It was social media. You and I both know this in the past five, 10 years, that noise has been more loud than any other time period. And I'm not saying real estate's a bad investment, nor are you, Yeah. but it just needs to be looked at before you just knee jerk say, oh yeah, the only way to make success in this world to have passive income, the only way to do it is to have real
1: estate. And I'm here to say that is not the only way. There are lots of ways, many paths forward, lots of ways, many paths. Yep. So Brad, we are at the m M&M and moment, the sweet spot, money and motivation. I'm wondering if you could share a practical tip or a piece of wealth wisdom with our listeners.
0: I'm gonna go with something we kind of touched on today and I'll just say this. I think time is the number one commodity that you can invest in. And I don't have many tricks in my bag. My eight-year-old thinks I'm the most boring human being on the planet Earth, but I told him this one thing. I said, okay, you're kind of fascinated with money. Imagine someone right now who's 95 years old Said, I'll trade places with you permanently and I'll give you a billion dollars. Ask yourself, would you do it? Likely the answer is no. Because if you think about it, we immediately remove the money context from it because if you're eight years old in my son's case or you're 50 years old listening, you're gonna lose 45 years of your life. Right. So believe it or not, friends, time is your most valuable commodity. Just keep that in mind from when you bring that context into money because really when you're investing,
1: when you're growing your wealth, what you're really doing is buying yourself time. Just remember that. Yeah. Absolutely. I appreciate that. And I've wanted to say it a few times, but I know that your wife might then come and put me in my grave, but <laughs> context, yeah. right? A lot of this stuff is context, whether it's passive income, what's the context is real estate, right? Is it not? Yep. Am I going to spend the money or not? And so I think the thing that we've talked about today, it also something we didn't talk about, but I think it evolves naturally when you're talking about context, when you're talking about empathy is trust. Yeah. When you're working with a financial advisor, it's got to be somebody that you trust and respect, but trust because money is really private. It is. And again, we'll talk politics and sex and religion, even though we don't want to, but we'd rather do that than talk about money. And so when people can find somebody where there's a safe place to talk shop, talk about their money, talk about their money fears talk about their money desires without judgment and shame and just being able to have that space, I think is such an important thing. And I can hear in the way you talk and what you share, the languaging is that it isn't just about let's make you a bunch of money and let's make me a bunch of commissions. Yeah, It's about how are we going to show up in life and how can I help you get there?
0: It is. And you're right. I think if anyone's out there, trust is earned. And as Reagan said, trust, but verify. So it's not that you just give blindly. You wanna be able to verify as well, seek counsel, find that person. But there's three things you should look for. Credentials, someone who actually cares about bettering themselves for you. By the way, be mindful of the person who has alphabet soup behind their name as well, because maybe they're spending too much time in the books and in the real world, side point. You wanna find experience, someone who's been down that route before. And I think you really wanna look for someone who's independent. I think that does matter because end of the day, they have no big brother, no bosses, and they're really trying to be there, sit kneecap to kneecap with you and help you. So I think those are three keys to look for when it comes to an advisor. And yeah, trust is earned. So you got to make sure that you find that relationship. And then ultimately your gut tells you a lot. If you like the person, then you can kind of move forward with that. If you're like, oh, that person, you know what I mean? Yeah. That tells you something and that's okay. You got to kind of go with your gut sometimes.
1: Absolutely. Trust the gut. Lots of times. (laughs) Trust the gut. Yep. Brad, where can people find you online and social media? Our firm, One Capital Management, you can find us at our website at onecapital.com.
0: One of the better ways to find us as well is through our YouTube channel, which is Make Your Money Matter with Brad Barrett. You can download, subscribe. We have weekly uh, episodes there. And you can follow us at Make Your Money Matter on Facebook and Instagram, as well as LinkedIn.
1: Awesome. Well, we'll put all that in the show notes, but I always love to just hear it spoken out loud. Yeah. So Brad, I so appreciate you taking the time. I love that you're out there working on people's money mindsets, because for me, it's all about mindset and learning to pivot. We can have it all. Yeah. We're allowed to have all the things that we want, and we just have to be intentional and conscious about it. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey there, Money Master. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Did you learn some valuable insights around your relationship with money? Our guests shared some of their financial epiphanies. You might have experienced one too. Don't just sit there with that aha moment. Share it with us and the world by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. Or leave a comment on one of our socials, at Money You Should Ask. Let's spread the word and help others explore their financial health too. But that's not all. Do you want to live in abundance and build wealth that can sustain you and your family for generations to come? It only takes one thing. The willingness to change the way you think about your money. It's time to test your money nerve and discover what's been holding you back from financial freedom. Take the free quiz now at themoneynerve.com and begin your journey towards a prosperous future.